Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the Marketing Minds at DoYouConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peake. We are here, episode 149, with Jackie Lipinski. Hello. That's my music for when things are crazy and they're getting crazy-er. I want to say in some sense, I'll, I'll save this for my story time, but I feel like the best housing market ever might have been in January and February of this year. And we still are in a really good housing market, but it might not be the best anymore. And people are struggling with how to continue to pivot. So that uh, the stock market's down, at least at the time of recording, people are, you know, Elon Musk said Bitcoin's not a thing anymore. And so it's dived. Everyone's selling all their assets and there's just a lot, there's a lot happening right now. It's quite a bit. Yeah. Elon doing it on purpose. What'd you guys think of the SNL? Did either of you guys watch it? I need to go back and watch it. Yeah. It was funny. Um, I liked the Dogecoin of like, what is it? Expand for the news story. Just, but Elon, tell me what the heck you're doing. And it was just like, can't really explain, but go buy it. It's so. awesome. But yeah, Elon and Bitcoin oh, in Elon. the market. And also had a builder today say, I think I, I want to cancel you know, 40 of my people who haven't started yet. Just cancel them. Not like, let's work it out. Just cancel. So, oh, okay. It's getting crazy. All right. That let's move crazy. on <laughs> to story time officially. <laughs> All right, Jackie. Yeah, I'll song. start out. I have a fun story. A couple other people know this story, but there is one person I'm very proud of, but also like, oh my goodness. So um, launching the summit, building out the... Um, emails, website, passing all the links. So I, we have hidden links, obviously people know of, and we send out um, VIP tickets to purchase tickets early. Always goes well. So last night I'm testing the links and all of a sudden, boop, boop, someone <laughs> found the link, the secret hidden page and at 11 PM their time and purchased two tickets. Oh gosh. The day before the VIP the ticket day launch. before the VIP ticket launch. So one, congratulations. You earned this too. They should you know, get a we, shirt or something. I, I know, know. I need to, I need to tell them like, I'm, I'm so proud. <laughs> you, you, did something. you, you slid in when, you know, no one was looking, uh, very late at night. Um, you shouldn't have been able to find those tickets, but we're, we're letting you have them. But two, I think it just verified how excited people are for the summit and how, you know, you're up refreshing a page at 11 PM the night before, like we're, you know, it's a concert series and obviously it's a summit series that, um, so many people are coming to and, and very excited about. So, um, that was a very fun thing to, to find out, um, later on in the morning. That is crazy. Yeah. It it's like Christmas morning and, you know, some families have the tradition of Christmas Eve, you know, like a present yeah. the night before. And like, sure enough, there's, there's your little 11 o'clock at night. Like, oh, look at me. This is so exciting. What was really That's interesting awesome. about it is I was not expecting the same surge. And to be clear, normally, you know, we would sell out in a, an hour, two hours, not even get out of the VIP list. By the time you hear this, we probably are sold out, uh, but, but also probably have gone to a public launch, although it's getting close. We, we might mm -hmm. not, but I mean, I was just blown away by how ramped up people are for this. And, and again, part of it may have just been multiple years of kind of conditioning of this thing sells out quickly, but our plan was not for this to sell out quickly. Uh, I guess kind of like home builders, we didn't anticipate the full demand here, or at least I didn't. Um, mm -hmm. 
see it see it coming quite this people strong. People are ready. People it's are fast. ready. But also, we're you know we record uh, a, about a week before it comes out. But Jackie, something else happened today, like right oh, yeah. before we started recording. That for people attending the summit, you might be excited about this fact. Yeah, the fact is that um, they just announced that masks for fully vaccinated people are non-existent now under certain circumstances like you know bus hospital miscellaneous things but basically the summary of the articles everyone's putting out is like normal is it's it's almost here we're we're getting close and so i think that was just like i think i put out my own personal instagram story like i'm just so excited (laughs) to you know be a little more less mask um wearing and and just feeling more comfortable and and you know i can go outside more and uh, to help the housing market even more in Ohio, the governor has announced oh, that yeah. they're going to give away a million dollars a week, I think, for five weeks to anyone who can prove that they've been vaccinated. After this, so random drawing based upon voter registration. And then if you can prove you've been vaccinated, you get a million bucks. So you got some time. Crazy. Hurry up. Remove. Five million dollar <laughs> public campaign, whatever you call that PSA. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It All right. Work. Andrew, what do you got? Yeah, not a, it is a specific story, but I won't reference the specific story or stories. This is just a good lesson. For sure, check your ads. Like if you're in marketing and all this sounds so obvious, like, yeah, you should probably check your, but check your ads. Are they on? Are they off? Are they running? Are they not running? Is there an issue? Is there not an issue? Um, especially like with Facebook, the recent changes, if there's any recent change, do a comparison. Is something broken? Is it not broken? Even if you believe you did all the steps you should do, um, say for like the Facebook iOS 14 update, it's still quirky. Facebook, I feel like is the only platform that will randomly turn your ads off for no reason. And yeah, you ads that have notice. been running. Yeah. And if they're, they're just, just not there, you're like, what in the world? Like, and this was, this was something that happened frequently around the election and the Capitol yes. riot and everything mm-hmm. else. So sometimes it's, there's no way to predict really why, but it sounds like, it seems like someone at Facebook by geography is just like, turn stuff off, like turn shut it down. Off. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, whatever's going on. Like, I just think it's important to check your stuff, which it's like, I don't know. I say that out loud. I'm like, yeah, that seems seems like we all do that. But like, it, I think we just take it for granted that things will keep running and mm-hmm. it won't break. And it's not like, oh, my computer turned off, blue screen of death or whatever happens to it. You turn it oh. back on. There's, if there's no notice, you'll, you'll believe like everything is fine. I, and if and I think that, oh, I think that goes along with what we recommend people coffee and analytics on Monday mornings, just go right. run in. Yes. Yeah. Analytics, uh-huh. check your Facebook ads, make sure everything is running, yep. sip your coffee, get a second coffee. And Google's doing a better yeah. job. Uh, I was in an account today and it was an intentional change where they were switching chat providers. And so the analytic conversion goal for a chat conversation starting, it was like, Hey, you haven't had any conversions on this in two weeks. Is it broken? And it wasn't broken. It was intentional, nice. but it was still Google's doing a better job of, of those. And, you know, Andrew has created content in the past that you can find on the website at doconvert.com about how to set up automated reports of if traffic drops by a certain amount to ping you um, as well. So you don't get yeah. caught off guard. Just by that. don't automate your life too much because then you start to ignore them. It's like a balance. That's it's right. um, This is a, I don't know, this is a story within a story. My wife's grandmother fell the other, the past week. Aww. She has a life alert thing around her neck or like it calls 911. She's been wearing it for like six years. She forgot she had it on. She's okay. Like, but like she just, it's always there. It's always there. So she totally forgot that she even had it because it's been around her neck for six years. So the alerts are the same way. If you have the alerts and you see alerts coming through all the time in your email, 
at some point, I think you'll just start to like, eh, yeah, they're there. I, I own way too many internet domains. Yeah. Maybe like a hundred. <laughs> I don't know. But I get the constant reminders <laughs> like your domain is about to renew and that's fine. But I have to force myself to check them versus just auto deleting because every once in a while it's like, it doesn't say it in the subject line any different, but your payment is no longer current. Like your credit card expires. So you got to go in. And, and so if I didn't do that, suddenly I would only have 20 domains left and yeah. I'd be a sad. It's probably like Kevin Oakley.com, like the domains you want versus. Those I do like a decade out at a time. I just okay, good. There's no reason, but you know, Pancake. ultimatepancakeblog.com, that, that can <laughs> roll year to year. <laughs> Side project. Does anybody want to um, start that? Yeah, <laughs> I tried. Um, anyway, moving on. Okay, so. My story is just about the tension that not, not all builders in all locations, but for the first time, somewhat regularly, maybe once or twice a week now, getting pinged by someone who essentially is saying a form of this. Sales are great. Sales are good. Appointments are down, but not uh, at the floor. But my lead count volume has dropped rather dramatically, or what feels like is rather dramatic. Is something wrong? What should I do? Should I turn the ads back on? You've got marketers and sometimes VPs of sales who are like, absolutely, turn it back on right now because we want to feel comfortable. You got owners who are saying, heck no, you cannot turn ads back on because I'm not spending, I mean, think about it. Does your owner want to spend any more money on anything? No, <laughs> they don't. They don't want to spend money on anything wow. they don't have to right now. Uh, so when do we know when we should turn the ads back on or not? Um, so when we look at the data, first of all, it's interesting to note, and I'll do it. I haven't done this in a while, both on Facebook and LinkedIn. I'll do an updated uh, chart here, but we are down year over year now, roughly 22, 23% in total traffic to home builder websites around the country. And as a data set here, we don't talk a lot about this a lot. It's, it's roughly 10 to 12 million unique users in a given month. Uh, is a total data set here. So it's it's, it's a few. enormous. Largest one that I've ever seen publicly shared any data from. So we're down, but we were also kind of heading down earlier this year. The real difference has been in the organic traffic. So now organically, we are basically right matched up with last year's numbers, just still slightly ahead by a couple thousand, which is not much as a percentage. So throughout March and April, even though overall traffic was dropping compared to where we were, organic, that organic traffic was so driven, so motivated to push through the process, to be excited, to say, I want to know, how do I take the next step? What do I have to do? Let's go, go, go. And now that organic traffic, again, it looks more like organic traffic from a year ago, which a year ago in April and May were good sales months for most builders around the country especially builders that had good online sales teams in place and right messaging, all, all the stuff they needed. It was a great time to be selling homes. But in comparison to everyone calling saying, what do I got to do? Tell me to now being hesitant, hesitant in a different way. Last year, they were people were still shopping, but there was hesitancy around the pandemic. What's going to happen? Am I going to have a job? Am I going to lose my job? Is there stimulus? All these different things. People were hesitant because of that. Now they're just hesitant because they don't know how to buy a house. Like there are some builders, many builders who are allowing multiple offers and bids on every home. And so there's a period of time where 
you can put in an offer for a couple of days or a couple uh, a week, and then we'll pick the best one. But they're not saying that on their website. And so what's happening is consumers are still going everywhere, looking and shopping. And they're being conditioned and trained how to think about shopping for a home by your competition, not just you. And so we have to be really clear about on every, every one of our pages and, and on the site itself, how do I buy a home from you right now? If, if you're lucky enough to work for a builder that's able to, to have this standardized at the corporate level, that makes it way easier. Most people are saying, well, some communities were in this scenario. Other communities are in this scenario. That's we love. Uh, Chesapeake Combs has a great blog post that they we do. reference a lot about how that works. But the challenge is I was on a, I was on a call with someone this week and they have eight inventory homes in a community in the Southeast. Um, two or three that looked like they're basically completely done and others that are almost done. And that's a little bit strange to have a completed inventory. That's not being, you know, people pounding to, to get in, right. How, how do I buy this home? But it's just unclear. There was no call to action because they had reduced calls to action to reduce the total lead count. So the only thing was request an appointment. But it doesn't say like, like I had to ask them on the call, if could I buy this house for the price that's shown on the website right now if I showed up? Yeah, you could. Well, that that's unusual now in the current environment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we have to be implicit about, you know, you can buy this home at this price if you want to right now. That That is not a normal thing. So just this, there's hesitancy in today's market from the people that are reaching out because they're just not sure or, or they're pretty sure that actually there's going to be, you're going to get placed immediately on a wait list. There's going to be four other people you're competing against. Um, just that, that, that the price is not the price. And so we just really have to be over-communicating how we're going to market right now. And that is a, a lot of maintenance on the marketing team, no doubt, but you, there's no way around it. Yeah. And I'll also just tell you, Kevin, I, we have a news story I put in that we'll talk about later, but it it's from uh, NAHB now. It says difficulties finding a home to buy this year will lead to 25% of active buyers giving up right now. And mm -hmm. so it's pretty consistent with what they're showing and our data is showing for just people are just like, all right, uncle, I'm, I'm waiting a year. Yeah. I mean, you're, so even if you're getting a lower lead count in the last couple months, that's not been a problem at all because those leads are highly motivated. They're moving quickly, quickly to an appointment. If you will let them, they're purchasing a home quickly, if you will let them. And now the, you've got this combination of lower lead count and they're a little bit unsure or hesitant. And so there's mm -hmm. one thing is, again, you got to go back now to your website and look again at your calls to action. It goes back to this theme of we should be creating checklists of everything we're turning off to make the, the bandwidth smaller and smaller to get higher and higher quality leads. Now we have to go back through that checklist and say, is now the time? Talk with your owner, talk about balancing all of the risks and opportunities. Say, do we want to undo some of this? But the other thing to remember is that we still have a bajillion, that's a technical term, a bajillion people who have already been leads that we haven't followed up with, if, if we're all being honest, for months now. You haven't been doing extensive follow-up. You haven't been making that extra phone call. And so that's the first thing is you can't let the on-site team or the online team forget that you've had a bajillion leads over the last eight months and you've sold many of them that's still a minority of, of that overall number has purchased. Most of them are still out yep. there. 
I feel like it's like that joke. I don't know. I, maybe to me, it's a joke where it's like you're a kid growing up and you're like, mom, can we go out to eat? And she's like, we have food at home. We have food at home. You already have this in your refrigerator. You have these leads from months and months and months and months that are there, like just ready to go. You don't have to go out and spend more and buy more um, to have to be able to eat, be able to sell. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, exactly. All right. Moving on to the news. Andrew hates the sound effect, but until you get me a new one, yeah. you, it's going to I usually like I have my time. hands up. I pretend I'm the typewriter man. <laughs> From uh, well, Fox 13 in Salt Lake City, <laughs> contracts terminated unexpectedly for Eagle Mountain homebuyers. So here's, I'll just read a little bit. I had no clue this day was coming, says Staheli. This was to be his first time buying a home. He said he was told the townhouse could be completed as early as August of 2021 or Christmas at the latest. We got the fittings and the foundation, he said. I thought I had a home, a home I wanted. What he thought was a done deal completely changed, all because of a shortage of supplies. And it goes on to say that basically all of these townhomes, uh, the contracts have been canceled with the buyers. And um, kind of just skip ahead. It says, further, this is from the company to those buyers in the communication to them. We intend to take these homes off the market until such time as we have progressed with construction, made acceptable arrangements for lumber and supplies, and a firm completion date can be established. We will notify you and give you the opportunity to make a new offer to purchase new units at then current pricing. Hmm. You want to believe everybody here, but it's for me, it's hard to believe this other than I think this is easier for a builder to do in a townhome project where they could just say the entire thing's on hold and they... I don't know what mentally, I don't know. It feels easier to say that versus each single individual home versus like, okay, the whole building unit, whatever you want to call it is, is on hold. And maybe they truly are being honest and like, there will be zero progress for six months. Who knows? Um, and then they are telling the truth, but yeah. you're like, oh, you have to buy it again. Like I already bought the money. I already gave you the money like down. Like, what is this? Yeah. Overall. I, I mean, it. I feel like Bev was in the buyer's shoes. It's like, I, I don't trust you. You've already, you know, you've bait and I feel bait and switched. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't, I just don't think this is going to leave anyone in a, a positive position. So it's interesting. When I posted that, I said the first of many question mark and then, you know, finger crossed emoji, hopefully not. And yet today on my call with one of our builders, he's like, man, you really inspired me, Kevin. Oh like, no. We're, like, we're oh, going. Shoot. Uh, and what he meant by that is generally speaking, as far as stories like this could go, it's pretty nice on the builder. It it's not it's not roasting them the way that mm-hmm. this I think could happen in other scenarios. Yeah, it talks about how the fact that there there is a clause in the contract that allows either side to cancel. So it wasn't shady business. So again, we've talked about the term force majeure before. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, like, well, act of God, I can't control it. That's kind of out of the blue because even though it's in the contract, it's it's not something that you're referencing or making clear to people up front. This appears to be kind of in black and white, clearly spelled out that, mm-hmm. that this situation could occur. It was kind of just stated matter of factly. It, it wasn't, I don't know, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the worst press that a builder could get. This, this really oh. isn't that bad. So th- I no. think this, this person's perspective was, okay, I could make almost no money on 40 homes that mm-hmm. haven't started construction at all yet. Or I could just bite the bullet, rip it off, cancel 40 people. Their home hasn't started. So it's a little bit in, in their perspective, mm-hmm. you know, no harm, no foul. And if I get a story like this written about me and then I'm, I'm moving on and able to make money, yeah, 
it's tempting. So, so that's just one interesting perspective. The other question for both of you is, would you rather have an escalation clause in your price agreement as a customer or this scenario here? Hmm. Jack, you want to go first? Or me to go? I, you know, I, cause people, I mean, just set the table a little bit better. People yeah. generally have a, a negative reaction to ew. Why would I put an escalation clause in there? That's only something that shady companies do. But then you see instances like this where it, it might have been a better overall customer experience to set that expectation up front and then give people an option to continue on through the pain with you. I, I'm not saying it's best for the builder. I'm just actually yeah. I'm really trying to frame this just as from the consumer's perspective. I don't think it's an easy answer to say that escalation clauses are are bad or pain, overly painful or complex. I think it... Ooh, both both aren't fun. Both are a negative, I'm disappointed feel. Mm -hmm. Being that this happened, it sounds like foundation was up and you had some plumbing sticking out of the foundation. This is when to do that, to, to be on the receiving end as a consumer, like, hey, our foundation's there. But at least there wasn't walls. You weren't touring the inside with a salesperson and a hard hat and all that, falling in, in love and really getting excited. Like, hey, we're getting close, we're getting close. And then they cancel. Whereas the, I think that's probably the thing. It's like, if you're able to, on the consumer side, have the bad news as far away from closing and moving in as possible, then maybe they haven't sold their home or maybe they just rented something and they could extend that lease without having to pay like a higher monthly rate. They could just adjust easier if they get the news up front. Um, I think the, mm -hmm. the biggest disappointment I would feel on a consumer side is you didn't even give me a chance to like keep this. What if I really wanted this location? What if I can't get it later? Like, and then it, again, we don't know all the communication that happened on the builder side. Maybe they're like, you will have first choice. First it looks like option. that's the yeah, case. Yeah, I think they to, alluded to, to that. It. But, but if, it's, if it's out of budget, it's out of budget. I don't know. But maybe it's easier to actually re-qualify for your mortgage a year later than to come up with 15000 or whatever it would have been in the escalation um, clause. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's. I don't think there's a best way. I I would prefer as a consumer. To me, the escalation clause sets the expectation more upfront that this is going to be a bumpy ride. Do you want to get on it or not? Yep. Whereas yep. pretending like it's business as normal, flat fee, your price is protected, we've got your back, and then whoop, no, we don't. Just kidding. To me, personally, as a consumer, I would rather have had someone say we have an escalation clause in place. Because if nothing else, it would have trained me as a customer to be more in tune with news stories about that and, and potentially be more empathetic about, yeah, I mean, we talked about this. It is a challenging environment. Mm -hmm. it, it goes back to just setting expectations, I think. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that is the good thing about paperwork is it can require a conversation around the piece of paper that sets better expectations. I don't know. Okay, moving on. CNBC.com, homebuyers are the most pessimistic they've been in a decade, thanks to tight supply and high prices. Uh, percentage of respondents who said it was a good time to buy a home decreased from 53 to 47%. The hardest hit uh, income range seems to be between 50 and $100,000. But despite this, competition continues to actually appear to be heating up. Now, again, we're talking about used homes here. Primarily. So this is homes that are move-in ready. And that's a big psychological difference too of uh, pre-selling something that has no progress at all. You're just basically doing a glorified lot reservation in the mind of the customer in many cases. Of, there, there's less 
competition around that than there has been as the market has cooled off a little bit. But finished or almost finished homes, they're saying it's heated up to the point that 48% of homes sold for more than their list price up 20 percentage points in the same period a year earlier. Uh, so, wow. so basically 50% of homes going for more than the list. And people, keeping in mind that people are also being more aggressive with what they're asking for in that list price. So home prices are also up more than 11% from a year ago. And so we still have bidding wars uh, going on. And kind of on our own home, this has driven us to say, I mean, the market might cool off a little bit between now and when we really want to list it since our new build won't be done for another four or five months. It's a long time to rent back. So just wait. And even if the market cools down a little bit, like we're not, we're not going to be in a bad scenario unless you know rates go crazy, in which case... You can rent the current Oakley household, whoever wants to rent it. Yeah. Anybody? Just hang on to it. But, Anybody? Um, it's still crazy out there mm-hmm. for, from the, on the existing side. No doubt about it. It is. It makes sense that that income bracket is the most pessimistic because um, I'd assume that income bracket yeah. is least able to absorb any out-of-pocket right. cash, cash things. Yeah. The first-time home buyer in new construction is quickly becoming a myth that you talk about that used to happen. Uh, a while ago. And so even at that income and dual income household, it's becoming tougher. And that's, again, maybe a little more context to that story I told before about the person who plans to cancel people uh, who haven't started yet. He's, he's saying like since May, he's had another twenty twenty five thousand dollars $25,000 in cost increases hit. Like the stuff that's wow. currently under construction, not that con- concerned about it. They're, they're going to make money on those homes. But the the new bids that are just being handed to him basically by, by suppliers. And here's the other part about all this is we've experienced this very recently with toilet paper. Right now, some people are experiencing with gasoline commodities of any type. Eventually the market works itself out. You know, lumber prices are so high. In fact, there's something to be said that if you want really cheap lumber, you should keep buying, building more homes. Like the, the market will figure out how to get more lumber to market. In fact, it was one of those um, Freakonomics things where they, they said, if you really like trees, like you, you want more trees to be around, you should use more paper and then people will plant more trees. In fact, did you know we have th- 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 35% more trees in the United States now than we did when Reagan was president, as an example? Hmm. Partly because of reforestation, and, and but also because we're still using a lot of wood and lumber. and Man. And so anyway... That commodities are going to fix themselves. And so that's the really big question that your owner is asking themselves is, do I even want to start inventory homes right now when commodity prices are extremely high and still likely to go higher yet? Because eventually commodities will balance out. A year, a year and a half from now, commodity prices will drop in many cases. But land and labor, still going to be extremely expensive and competitive. And you can't make more land. So that, that the land part doesn't balance out the same way. So there's some people who are just even saying... I don't think I want to start a whole bunch of inventory homes just yet either. I just want to wait. It's what's the economics? Uh, demand creates supply. Supply will not will never create demand. But there's I'm sure there's a word for it. There's a lag time between mm-hmm. demand creating supply and then the supply being created for that demand. And there's so your economics that, lesson. For there you today. go. Economics. <laughs> yeah. It's great. <laughs> All right. Moving on uh, to a story from NAHBnow.com. The most common reason active buyers can't close the deal. Uh, Jackie, you found this one. 
It's yeah, this one. is this is the article I brought up earlier, and I think it just goes along with the story we were literally just talking about. You know, it says the most common reason longtime searchers have come up empty-handed is not because they can't find a home at an affordable price, but it's because they continue to lose out in these bidding wars that we're talking about. Um, and then the reasons are flipped from a year earlier when forty percent of people cited it was the unaffordable, uh, unaffordable prices and only 23% uh, was because of better offers by other buyers. So that so, then goes uh, along with the 25% of uh, active buyers who are saying it's so difficult for them to find a house that they're just going, uh, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait a year. I'm going to wait a little longer. You know, I'll figure out renting yeah. situations. And that, that, that's what I was referencing earlier is yeah. that pool of people, if they show up on your website right now and you happen to have a house that is not going to be sold in a lottery or a bid scenario or a wait list, you need to tell them or else they will assume mm -hmm. the negative scenario of this isn't real. If I call, they're going to say it's already sold because they can't keep their website updated or they're going to say, oh yeah, you can put a yeah. bid on that one and we'll let you know if you want if there is some clarity that you can provide, you need to be providing it because of that 25% that's trying to pull themselves out of the market right now. Yep. And even though they're pulling themselves out of the market, they're still going on Zillow. They're still looking, right? They're still looking. Even you if, got it. Yeah. You're, you're still obsessed. It's interesting the um, the amount of people that will expand their search area. It, oh, yeah. It didn't increase a lot, but it went from 34% were willing to expand to 42% are willing to expand, um, which I thought was interesting. I had a call with Google this week and both of the reps we talked to they're like, we're from the New York office, but I'm actually in Arizona. I moved during COVID and all this stuff. And both of them moved. I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And just, I mean, that's the stories you hear in the headlines, but I haven't talked to someone personally that moved from New York, New York City mm -hmm. to across the country. I think it was in Sedona, uh, which I think is more rural. Like it's not like Phoenix. And it's kind of mixed, but it's all right there by the mountains. But I'm like, oh, that's a totally different life. Um, that's yeah, really interesting. Uh -huh. Yeah. I think the pandemic has just really shown people what their priorities in life are. And I think just having space, having time with your family has really just, um, you know, become a special thing during this time. And so if you can work from anywhere, might as well get the best bang for your buck in these areas. Yeah. And New York to the desert mountains would feel yeah. like <laughs> freedom. Like, look, oh my gosh. I don't see anybody. This is amazing. All right. And then in the continuing saga of uh, Apple versus Facebook, Facebook versus Google, Facebook versus Apple, Apple versus Google. All of them. Um, from applescoop.org. Yeah. Whoever found <laughs> this think, one. Do you think they're biased or anything? Or? You, did your, you did your job of searching for news. For the, you found this one, yeah. Uh, WhatsApp breaks the App Store guidelines by limiting functionality for users who do not accept the new privacy policy. Now, that, that in and of itself isn't really the reason for the news, though. The, the reason is... If WhatsApp did something that breaks the App Store policy, and WhatsApp is a fairly popular application globally, right? Yep. <laughs> like we're talking I, global, I think it's yeah. said. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, but if if Apple were to remove, it's one thing to take off Fortnite, right? Okay, your your kids might be annoyed. Someone's annoyed by that. But taking off the the main communication and payment source globally, will Apple? Will they will they follow through? Is that's kind of the the question. That, mm -hmm. I feel like we could have government intervention. Like, oh, the App Store has that much power. Yes, um, yeah, no one talks about it. And yeah, I feel like people are starting to pile on Apple as as the Epic lawsuit and more stuff's coming they out. They should. They should pile on all of them. All of them. <laughs> well, I mean, like they, <laughs> we should be up. 
we should be critical of everything that has, I don't mean in a negative way, but I think you should question and be curious and all this yeah. stuff. Also not part of this news story, but similarly, similarly interesting is last night, um, because we're all geeks at do you convert, we're slacking around talking about how, uh, now when you click a link on a Facebook post, oh, yeah. it doesn't open up Safari anymore by default. Yeah. Tricked you Apple. So now they, now they could track you like the, the event, like you're not going outside of Facebook anymore. Mm -hmm. You're still on Facebook. I'm like, this is brilliant. This, I think it's a, and it's a much better looking, I don't, I don't know why they ever weren't doing this, to be honest. I don't you think either. this was just a Trojan horse because it's a better internet experience being yeah. like it's full screen. It looks normal. Whereas before when you clicked on a link and it, and it loaded, it, it always looked weird. And then, so you no, wanted like, to open it up into Safari, do the animation and it would like, yeah, pop up. like this is just, that's why I think that's what caught me was like, oh, that was weird. It's like, almost that, like an amp page loading on google it's just extremely snappy yep and it looks so more, pretty more data for facebook they're gonna find a way whether it's cappy whether mm -hmm. it's the browser um and i think it's hey. interesting i keep hearing more radio ads which i don't listen to the radio but I, I i listen to a streaming uh news show in the morning when i'm when i'm taking my daughter to work and just a ton of ads from from facebook saying we want more regulation. We want the government to, to change the rules, to, to, to set the rules for everyone. And anytime that's happening, it's, it's code for the huge multinational corporations have the budget and the resources to make any rules work, but it eliminates competition from startups who can't comply yep. with the 4,000 new rules that were put in place by the government. So for sure. Fun that times. leads us to our question of the week which we teased uh, last week, would you pay $50 a year to use Facebook and Instagram with complete privacy and no ads? And boy, oh boy, I, I didn't, I didn't make this one a, a survey and I thought that might mean fewer interactions, but we got 45 comments uh, extremely quickly. And Overall, I would say the vast majority said no. In fact, I, I'm just yeah, scanning I'm looking for here. a yes. I think it was only a nonth, but really he said yes, but only if it came with streaming music. So I thought that, that was work. genius. Maybe mm -hmm. if you get Spotify. If they could do an like, Amazon Prime like thing where there's yeah. a bundled service and that's part of it. Artists would that that'd be kind of cool. That's what maybe they should do something. That's like YouTube. Oh, was here it you YouTube go. Chad Sandrigan says 100 he would, and he thinks they will go to this at some point. Um, but everyone else is either a combination of it's not that big of a deal. I can keep scrolling yeah, or I don't use it enough to, to if you're watching maybe more video content on Facebook where you can't skip the ad or you mm -hmm. like the ads. That was a lot that of people like, I too. really like the ads, but they yep. like the personalized ads is what that was. They didn't like the random yep. ads. They're like, these were perfectly made for me. And, and that's what yeah, they liked I don't, about them. I don't think they could ever go hundred percent one way or the other. It has to be like Spotify where it's like, well, you know, they have the premium account. Mm, you don't think so? I don't think they can do that actually, because once let's say, you know, Scott Galloway, a gentleman that I, I used to like more than I do now, but he's still really smart. He said, you know, advertising is a tax on, on the poor because they can't afford to skip. So if you're a home builder and you know that everyone who can is paying to not have to see ads, do you want to run ads to only people who can afford a thousand dollar a month rental? No. So I, I don't, I think, I think their system would break if they did halvesies <laughs> on, on their approach. I think they're yeah. kind of stuck with all one or the other. And it makes me really curious 
having so many people say they don't mind it. One, I went back to my own my own public page. Then I was like, well, then I've got to I've got to put in my private world, so to speak, the same question and see if it's different. Because most of the people in the market proof marketing group are, of course, marketers, mm-hmm. and so they don't mind the ads. Um, but but again, for the most part, it was a combination of. I wouldn't trust Facebook to truly make it private, even if they did charge me $50. That was kind of a new wrinkle was I just don't, there's no way it's actually going to be private. Which to be clear, it's just privacy from advertisers. I don't want, um, my uh, childhood friend of mine, Matthew Smith said, I would actually pay for more organic reach. Like if you, if I could just pay 50 bucks and all of my friends saw every time I posted something, Hmm. they would find Hmm. more value in that. But for the most part, people said no, either because they don't feel like they use it enough or again, they just don't mind the ads. And a lot of people saying, again, I buy all the stuff, all the cool stuff in my life that's made me happy. I didn't know existed until I saw it on Facebook or Instagram. So really interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. It's like, uh, is that YouTube Red? Like the $9 a month? Oh, yeah. Where you don't get ads? Like, YouTube I don't Unlimited know. now, I think. Unlimited? Yeah. Would it, yeah, it's, I'm like, I don't know anyone who has that. Um I've done the free service before, not because of no ads, just because it allows it to play when you turn it off. Oh, but most gotcha. of the content that's on YouTube, sure? you can find somewhere else on a, on a podcatcher app or something to listen to. But if there is something, if there's a channel you like and you don't need to see it as it's playing, that's a, that's a functionality that I might be see. worth five bucks. Yeah. How was it? Like five a, bucks a month. It's not something. So it's like a crazy. premium function. Yeah. Yep. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Noel Christopher, the senior VP at Renters Warehouse, is going to join us to talk about all the questions that builders have and misperceptions that builders have about Build for Rent and what it's good for, uh, what the market looks like. Should your builder consider it? He's going to answer all those questions. This, this is probably an episode or a guest that you're going to want to forward to other people on your management team to listen to. It's a lot about deal structure, a lot of uh, additional finance conversation. It's a little bit more heavy from from that perspective, not as not as much advertising talk or tactical marketing conversation, but still incredibly important for everyone to have a, a handle on why the build for rent phenomenon that's happening is likely going to change the home building industry forever uh, because of how everything's kind of lined up perfectly for, for the perfect storm of, of growth and build build for rent. So you're going to have a great time with it. Forward it on to others in your organization need to hear it too. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we're with Noel Christopher, the Senior Vice President of Portfolio Services at Renters Warehouse. And someone who has been on my radar because of his amazing content on LinkedIn over the past year, year and a half. How long have you been committed to that? About yeah, about a year and a half, two years. It's commitment, but it's it's worthwhile. Are you surprised no one else is doing it the same way you are? I am. You know, I sometimes I get people that give me a little bit of criticism because I'm doing it in my car, <laughs> but I've tried it a lot of different ways. And I was following Gary Vaynerchuk, and he was. You know, a while back, he's saying, look, turn on the camera, just say what you're doing, say what you're doing, say what's going on. And so I'm a really big data guy. So I read a lot of data early in the morning and I think about it and I go drop my kids off at school and then I turn on the camera and just give my unedited 
un, you know, no notes, just thoughts of what I'm doing and where I see the market and what's happening. And I've tried it a lot of different ways and I've gotten the best traction and the most authentic videos by just turning on the camera. That's awesome. Well, it, it's oh. clear that you, exactly what you just said, that it's in your brain, you're, you're obsessed with it. Oftentimes people are like, how, how do you guys talk about this for so much? And, and we don't have any other hobbies or interests much other than technology. So it just flows out. And, uh, and so this will be a great off the cuff conversation here because sure. you've got, you've got the data, we've got the questions and, uh, built to rent and single, f single family rentals in general are definitely going to the moon along with Dogecoin and everything else. So let's, let's <laughs> hop in and just real quick for everyone, tell us your background and how you how you came to this position at Renters Warehouse? Yeah, so I have a uh, you know we can go pretty deep, but back in the day, I used to be a, a sales trainer for Tom Hopkins, who is a oh, real wow. estate guru guy, how to master art of selling, and so that got me into the real estate world. Um, after nine eleven, I ended up working for uh, well before nine eleven, I was actually working for Tom Hopkins, and we were mainly training real estate companies, and <laughs> so. Um, after that, I got into commercial real estate in Chicago uh, for many years, and that's my background, and that's how I look at single-family rental, build to rent. It's a commercial real estate asset class. It's not a residential real estate asset class in, in that sense. Um, and once uh, the Great Recession hit, um, like many, got crushed in the real estate market and, or, yeah, and started, uh, started working with... Um, with funds, with small funds that were buying homes, foreclosures, rehabbing them and turning them into, uh, into rentals and uh, doing some of that myself and got a call from a, uh, fr from some attorneys I work with saying that some company named Blackstone wanted to talk to us about <laughs> buying a lot of homes that I didn't even know who they were at the time, to be honest. I heard of Blackstone, but I didn't know anything about them. And I literally flew back from vacation in Europe to meet with um, Dallas Tanner from from Invitation Homes, wow. and we started buying um, homes in mass in Chicago. I mean, literally, me and ten other people in a room around a big conference table on our computers and on our phones and figuring it out. And uh, that was in 2012. And so that's how I got into the space. And I made a decision then that this was going to be something that I was going to put all my time and energy into. Um, because I saw the runway. And once you started looking at the numbers of the single family rental space and how it's dominated by small investors, it's been around since housing's been around. Um, and uh, I've been waiting for that space to be institutionalized. And it's been happening over the last few years. It's been really accelerated. I've done some videos recently. So since then, I've I've put my 10,000 hours in and um, and really you know, worked in a, in a lot of different parts, you know, whether it's been on the brokerage side, on the fund side, on the property management side, now kind of back into the brokerage um, as we're hitting this new era of the space. So a lot of people are like, build a rent's new. Well, it has, it's not really that new. People have been turning new construction homes into rentals forever. Um, it's really about the numbers. It's just been getting, you know, there's, there's all these factors that are happening at one time that's causing it to really explode. But um, so now I work with Renters Warehouse. What is the service that you guys are most well known for in providing for those who may so not be familiar? We're most well known for in property management. The last few years, we have uh, 
you know, so we bought Renters Warehouse started out as a franchisor. Um, back in 2016, they were acquired by a private equity group that then then rolled up all the franchises, and then we rolled up a lot of uh, other property management companies. So that's what I did the first few years with Renters Warehouse. So it wasn't even in really the single family rental space as far as what I do now and what I've done in the past. I was out there buying property management companies. And uh, so we rolled that up into a centralized, centrally managed company where it's property management. The level of service is really low. It's very scattered around. People are working on, on you know, yellow pads and, and Excel sheets. And so we really <laughs> try to institutionalize this and so you can get a consistent level of service. So we did that. And then we, we took all of our markets that were licensed in and have agents that are leasing agents. And now I've converted that into investment agents that are out there working with small investors. And we're waiting, we have been waiting for whatever's gonna happen for the space to really take off. And that's happened in the last year. Yeah. Now there's a ton of capital flooding in and we have clients coming to us saying, we need to buy in multiple markets. How are we gonna do this? And, and, and we've created the technology and a process to go out there and acquire homes very quickly in multiple markets. And uh, really, it was waiting for the yields to get there. I mean, the yields that people are buying today, a year ago, I laughed at sellers asking for that number. And now we've shot way below it um, because of the cost of capital is just is, is insane. Yeah. So inefficiencies yeah. and everything. There's all these events that have happened. That insane are, in the low end for, for everyone listening, right? And mm-hmm. that there's money everywhere. And so when you play that out over your, over your investment horizon in this type of product, you should be trying to acquire as much as you can <laughs> while you and can. Absolutely. And so my focus in the last year and a half has really been on builders. Um, you know, the, Interesting. the portfolio is always there. I've adapted that, adapted that space, acquiring one-off in markets, done it. But we've really focused on builders and creating programmatic buying relationships with builders. And uh, again, builders who laughed, laughed at me a year and a half ago, literally laughed, laughed me off the phone are now... Yeah starting to go, wait a second. So I can sell a hundred homes here, you know, to on the retail channel. I can sell a hundred homes here on the, you know, on the fund channel. And that money I turned three times very Mm -hmm. quickly. And I put a lot of people to work and it's set pricing and I have the homes. I mean, I'm, we're putting, we're putting deals together that are the end of 2022 right now because of the way the development pipeline goes. So yeah. that's bankable for these, for these, for these builders. And I I've, been, I've been telling builders for years, why aren't you holding homes? Why aren't you holding homes? And now it's, I mean, I get calls every day from a builder who says, I want to get in this space. I want to hold some, I want to sell some. And then I also want to have my retail channel. And uh, all of that is happening. And it's really wrapping their mind around what the, you know, having the, you know, the cost of cap- their, their cost of capital, being able to turn that money quicker, giving what would be a perceived price discount, but because of the efficiencies and what they can do, they're actually making uh, just as much as a, a, of a profit margin on the deals. I was going to say it's one buyer and it's preset, like just like the efficiency of like, what are we going to build? What floor plans? Well, it's like, the only way you can get so simple compared to let's that- talk to a hundred buyers. That, that mythical word that everyone wants to chase in anything related to manufacturing, even flow, the, the only way you can can begin to do that is, is to have that pipeline established and, and the consistency that it that it brings, for sure. Yep. 
Yep. So we're seeing a lot of guys go into the build to rent space. And then, you know, for, for everybody out there, when you're looking at this, you look at the single family rental space, and that kind of covers everything that people want to turn into a, you know, a rental. And then within that, you have build to rent. And build to rent could be a lot of different things where you've got more of the multifamily flavor on it, um, where you're building more garden homes, duplexes, quad homes, smaller homes, smaller lots, more urban maybe. And then you've got the, the just the, the traditional single family that could be in an entire community. And then you also have scattered sites. So we're doing deals where it might be a, um, you know, garden homes in a community, might be full single family homes in one community, yeah. or we're going in a master plan community and buying 300 homes scattered throughout the entire community. Yep. Different strategies for all of those, um, different efficiencies. Not everybody wants to, you know, there's a little bit more risk if you own uh, 400 homes in one community together than it is scattered throughout. When it's scattered throughout, you get a valuation bump from the entire market. So if you start selling retail homes over here for 450, your rental home that you bought for 350 is now worth 450. Right. Maybe not on a um, on an income approach, but on a valuation, that's what it's worth. And that's what makes this asset class so interesting is that the broader housing market, which is, I wouldn't say it's always rising, but over time it's always rising, yeah. is yeah. buoys that. So that's one of the things that... Yeah, you know, my client has, uh, I believe, six to eight rental properties. His process, my business partner, has just always been to every time I move, I just don't sell the home that we were in because if myself and my family thought that that was a good place to live and a, and a, a worthy investment of our family's energy and time, then someone else will likely think that. And that was kind of how he he found the right risk piece there. But anytime you talk to someone who owns a lot of real estate, that's that's what they always tell you is it's. It's never worth nothing. It's just not necessarily as liquid as you want it to be. But if you can hold out, then eventually it does go up and to the right, albeit sometimes more slowly than others. And so right. that that's there's so many different places we could go. I think now that you've right. kind of set the table for us, I just want to list out some of the things that we hear from builders all the time that are they see as as challenges that I think are leading them back to you or just asking this question. Right. And and one of those is just margin compression and margin and cash flow overall compared to the relative risk that they're taking. So I've got to go put a couple million dollars into an agreement on a piece of raw ground. I've got to develop that. I've got all this, a lot of times personal guarantees on all this stuff. Then I've got to go get the materials. Oh, that's kind of a big problem right now. And I've got to find the labor. And for all that, at the same time as, as at the end of the day, I, my, my margin's being squeezed from a low 30s to a mid 20s to a, oh my gosh, right now, some people saying, uh, I'm building this home for practice. And so that has led to, over the last, even pre-pandemic, uh, pre a lot of builders looking for ways where how can I have a more lifetime value of the customer perspective, whether that's adding um, services. We talked about Oakwood Homes in their uh, Shazam service of, hey, you want some caulking touch-ups, you want some paint touch-ups, you want to replace your air filter. We'll do some of the basic maintenance for you. So this kind of becomes like home as a service and we can continue to make money off of that relationship. And there's definitely something there. But I think a lot of builders are just saying, to themselves. And this is where I think you describing all these different ways that this can play out is important because builders tend to have this misconception of, well, I'm either going to do it all myself or I'm just building it for someone else. And why would I give up all that value when the hardest right. part of this 
actually isn't the money necessarily. It, it is the making it be constructed on time and on budget. And so how do I, how, how do I have these different, so, so that, that's kind of where what's pushing people there. And then the other macro concern that they have is interest rates. And um, while we, we love the prices going up now, there's this sense of affordability becoming a challenge and driving more people to having to, you know, the, the, to not have a, have to have a down payment in a single family rental scenario seems like one of the potential outs whenever things do get tough. It's either it's either forty and fifty year mortgages, something else we don't haven't thought of in terms of financing, or it's more renters. Um, so, so I just gave a couple of things there that that builders come to talk to us about all the time that they're concerned about. What where do you want sure. to start? So let's let's start with the, the 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 last what he talked about, just the general markets, and then I'll talk about deal structure because this is something where um, sometimes there's some misconceptions and, and things have changed. I mean, things are changing by the sure. week on, on what I'm doing. So, you know, as, as overall market, yeah, you hit, hit the nail on the head. People aren't saving as much money. The wealth gap is, is you know, is it really middle class anymore? Because, you know, you used to have kind of the lower class, the middle class, upper middle class, and upper class. And now that kind of, that gap is happening. It's right now, the affordability is already there. So the the low interest rates have now been eaten up by appreciation. There's some great data. If you want to follow First American, Mark Fleming talks about this a lot. And on the flip side, you know, if you look at home prices, they don't really change with interest rates. Right. It slows down the appreciation, but home prices don't suddenly go down. Exactly. Um, and that's that's what I mean. Right now, as marketers listening, we're all trying to communicate to people who are sitting on the fence saying, well, we're just going to wait for a year for the prices to come down. Like, that's not how, it's oh, only worked it's that way happen. twice in our history. It's and when it does, no one's buying anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Bad. so, you know, now there's, there's some factors that, that recently have happened that are unprecedented that has set some precedent with lockdowns and, and government intervention into the mortgage market, you know, all this stuff that could, could affect things and we don't know what's going to happen. Right. But, but yeah, so you know, interest rates, they help that affordability, they help some of the velocity, but we're seeing some inflation. So interest rates are probably going to go up. I mean, everybody's saying it's, you know, 2021 is going to be a good year, but then what's going to happen after that? Who knows? But I, I, I would be less concerned about interest rates. I'd be more concerned about supply and how many people need a home to live. It doesn't matter. I mean, if you look at the last recession, all these people went into foreclosure. Well, they didn't all go move into apartments when they went into a foreclosure in the house. They went and found a house to rent yeah. and then eventually buy again over time, maybe. But with the professional landlords coming up, people are saying, well, you know, I can just rent and I'll be happy. I think something that we've been pushing a lot of our tenants that are, that are great credit tenants that don't want to own a house to buy investment properties, right? Because you can get, it's so easy now. The velocity and then the, we talked about liquidity before liquidity is coming more into the market of single family rentals where if you said hey i my partner wants to sell a house i could probably find five buyers for him with the tenant in place so that's that's interesting but that demand for housing household formation all of those things happening that's going to keep the demand for homes there and yeah more people can't it's have people having more trouble affording a house and having the down payment but they have they can literally go I want to buy this house. I can't buy it. I want to rent the house right next door. And that's what's happening. Yeah. And if yeah. you look at just in the new construction, if you look at these subdivisions, I mean, it's somewhere between 30 and 40% of the homes 
over time end up being rentals because of the same thing you talked about, about people moving. You know, somebody moves and they rent the house. I mean, just think about everybody if yep. they just rented their house out in the last recession instead of selling it, where they would be. Well, um, the, af- the affordability part historically was solved by going further and further out. But the challenge, just talking to a, a builder this morning, the challenge is now you'd have to almost get the land donated to you for nothing because the development cost of that raw ground further out is still astronomical. And so you end up not being able to be competitive with lots that are already on the ground now. And so even right. that hand where the, that was their typical play. And I think there still will always be people who will, who will place make, right? They go far enough away and they can create a, bland, a brand and an amenity package that, that makes it feel like small town America in the middle of nowhere. And that creates value, but that's, that's a lot more work than most builders are used to, to putting into development. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, you know, th- th- those factors, I mean, and that's something that's holding back everything. So cost of lumber, I mean, adding 24, 25 grand on a $250,000 house. I mean, that's significant. It's huge. Um, the, the, you know, impact fees and all those things. So will that change? I don't know the current political climate. I know it's a big, big thing. I think giving people a tax credit isn't the solution. Um, I think we need to have some better systemic changes in, in how that happens. But so anyways, the demands there, people are going to, you know, th- this flow. So people, when they form the household, they want to move into a house, they're going to rent a house or own a house. They're not going to stay in apartments. Typically, there's a small subset that will, but the next yeah. generation is moving into the cities, moving into the apartments, you know, that, that flow has always been happening. It's always gone up and down. Lumber prices have gone up in the past. They'll adjust. All those things will happen, but the demand for homes is not going to go away. Yeah. And so that's, that's the biggest thing. Nor were the value again. I want to reemphasize that point. Yeah. Commodity yeah, prices. Yes. Inflation in that is transitory a hundred percent. But what I scream at the news, my phone, whatever it is that's spouting off transitory, ah. I'm like housing itself is not in, in transitory inflation. That's going to stay relatively right. where it is uh, yeah, or continue sure. to get worse. So, um, Let's get into the deal structure, though. So yeah, so we got options, uh, is, is what it sounds like. Because yeah, that's... yeah. So, so we have options, you know. So, and I have this conversation with a lot of guys when they it, it, part of it is around, you know, the perceived discount, which that's kind of going away a little bit because of the where funds can be. But you know, you've got about five five to ten percent that that is some savings when you're selling to a fund programmatically. So that's one thing. But but what I'm seeing sales now, and marketing expenses in particular. It would be right. absolutely a lot of that comes well, from. So where where you you're not getting the bump is on upgrades, mm. high high profit margin. Um, you know, uh, adding 10, 15 grand upgrades does not make much difference to a home buyer, but it makes a huge amount of difference in that price to an investor. So you're not so, looking for a million dollar homes in Columbus, Ohio, is what you're telling me. Correct. <laughs> um, but that deal structure is, and again, a year ago only buy at C of O, right? Or maybe commit commit 90 days out, we'll put them under contract or the C of O will buy them. Now, because of the demand, and, and this is something that people have to understand too, they're thinking of these funds coming in and they're taking away housing inventory for a homeowner that can't buy them and that's driving up prices. That's not what's happening. People need these houses to live in. And the demand for the, the funds would not be buying them if there was not a demand for them to be a rental. And so you're not necessarily taking a home away from a home buyer when you when you sell it to an investor, for one. Two, these funds will come in at very early into the development pipeline. 
they will even do a lot of different things, whether it's partner and, and give the builder some upside on the back end of the deal. I've done some deals that are based on the lumber index, because if you're looking at something going, look, I'm going to build these homes right. at the end of the year, but you don't even know where lumber is going to be. So you don't even know what their cost of your home is going to be. Well, you can have that lumber index. Yeah. You know, some people are playing that, that trading game. Uh, they're, they're coming in, they're funding the deal. They're saying, okay, let, let's look at your, your, you know, your lender. I mean, I know, I know some lenders that build a couple thousand homes and they've got 12 lenders. Yeah. And so they come in and say, we'll be your lender. Or how about this? You've got this lender over here and they're giving you 85% uh, loan to cost. We'll cover that 15%. So you don't put any money in and yeah. you can make your profit or um, fee building, which is we'll build you, you know, we'll build a home. We'll share in the cost. We're sharing in the risk of the prices going up. Yep. You build a home, you make a set profit margin and guys will look at that and go, well, I make 30% or 25%. I don't want 15%. But if you start thinking about it, many of them have their own construction company. So there's, you know, you've got yeah, some. Yeah. There's places where the profit can come from or, or oh, be distributed. Yeah, for sure. And so there, there's 10 different ways to do a deal and I'm seeing them done all that way. We're going in buying land and and then paying the builder to build. We're committing years in advance. I mean, it's just there, there's a lot of different ways. So they don't have to build and then sell. They can yeah. go in and and come into that development pipeline. And look for a build to rent. Like if you if you want the the best price, if you want to make the most money, you build it, put a tenant in it, stabilize it, and sell it. Yep. Well, not everybody's ready for that. Um, it's the same thing in the build to rent developments. Guys are asking for these huge, huge, um, low cap rates, big prices, but they've got to stabilize it and all that kind of stuff. That being said, the debt's out there to do that. So if you're yeah. a builder and you're building a lot of homes, you can go to a lot of lenders who will, who will give you a lot of money to, to build and hold and do all this kind of stuff. It's just getting their head around it, but you don't have to do that. So yeah, it's, you, to me, it sounds like what you're, what, what essentially you're saying is it's just another term on, on a typical sheet of, okay, I, I need this capital to do this. And instead of looking at just traditional banks, you, you now have this other option to say, now there's this other term of what percentage do you want to sell at a fixed number or, and, and again, that just opens, opens up so much opportunity. There's so many builders right now are frozen, especially the small and medium size, because again, yep. they're looking at the next piece of dirt. Uh, a builder in upstate New York was like, I've got this place that's I've, I've got under control. It's amazing. It, it can be mixed use. It's in a fantastic location, but it's going to take almost all the cash I have. And I don't want to go back to personal guarantees. So what can I do? And I was yeah. like, I think there's this guy called Noel that you should reach out yeah. to. Um, but that that's where the, the risk is, is the trade-off that you're making. Uh, one of the biggest ones, obviously, how much risk you do or don't want to accept in a, in a, uncertain market, although generally still up and to the right, but it could be a bumpy ride. So how much risk do you want? And then I think the other thing that, again, uh, builders are maybe irrationally fearful about this whole market is I don't want building to become a commodity. As a builder, I want some value for, for myself and my company. And while we could argue that that at some point when the robots, uh, the, the robots that currently just dance and do, do goofy looking things actually start um, doing more of the construction long-term, that might be a trend, but what they're saying sure. is if, if I'm the one making it happen for now, 
I don't want to sell just one time to an investment group either. I want I want 10 or 15% kept for, for myself. And that's the most successful small and medium term builders are the ones who have always done that. They've built a limited amount of inventory. If it doesn't sell after three to six months, they just sell it to a sister company who then holds it and rents it and they move on for another day. And this is now, again, for those who don't specialize in that or want to go through learning how to do that, now there's other options. I sound like I'm a commercial for, for you guys, but I just think there's so much flexibility that this opens up and, and you don't have to be fearful going into the conversation because it's yeah. there are so many different exit points. And you know, one thing I was going to say too, on the risk side, but the more, whoever's taking the most risk is going to ask for the most profit. Absolutely. Right? So if you want somebody to come in and de-risk the deal for you, your profit margin is going to go down, but you now have your other capital, all your capital is freed up to go do yeah. what you need to do. And so when I, when I, that project is not branded as a renter's warehouse community. Yeah. Right. So, so there, there's other things in the, in the future deal structures of the next project where you might be part of a, a crown jewel type piece in a marketplace that then you get on the radar of other developers and other landowners who want your name attached to the next project. Exactly. And so there, you just have to think bigger than I think. Yeah, you, you, you do. And, and again, there's so many different ways to do the deals. And it's one thing I was going to say about the commodity thing. I agree with you. I think, you know, everything changes and everything becomes We're more all being pushed, by the way. It's not just built. Everything is being pushed by technology towards yep. commoditization. No doubt about it. What's happening right now um, I talk to the top 10 builders all the time because we're trying to do deals. And we, for the last four or five years, we've been buying homes from them. Guys like Lennar, for example. Yeah. Well, they're now the competitors, right? So they've, they've looked at their money and gone, oh, well, I have this money. Why, you know, like now we're going to own homes. So now what the funds are doing is they're going, okay, builder, you're not interested in working with me. Well, I just bought the piece of land next year's and I'm going to build homes there. And so now look at that, figure out the numbers and figure out your loss that you just had in that process. Not, not a loss, but unrealized profits. Right. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I can tell you, I'm looking for one of my really close clients I've had for many, many years to uh, buy a builder, huh. a regional builder that they can yeah. expand and, and grow. And right, I have right. a builder that I've worked with um, in the Southeast that, you know, they were doing a thousand homes a year for the last eight years. And uh, now they're doing 4,000 homes a year because awesome. they, they were just able to turn their money. And now they're yeah. looking, they just, now they had the ability to scale. And that's a very, like, very cautious about that, right? Yeah. You can't just go that. But they had the ability to do it with the backing of private equity capital that's coming in. And they're still selling their 1,000 homes retail. But now they're selling 3,000 homes, um, I would say, wholesaler to, to funds. And right. the profit margin, I mean, it's, it, it works really, really well because now they have economies of scale that they didn't have before. Well, and, um, and they can afford to be a little more patient on the ones that they're selling traditionally and get the yep. extra 1% or 2% potentially on that end or more in this current market. And if it doesn't work, they have, there's a pipeline of, or, you know, there's, there's ready buyers. Whether, you know, one thing I want to add to all of this is what we're seeing um, is retail buyers, retail investment buyers are very competitive. Because if you're if you have let's say you sold your houses you have some 1031 exchange money you want to go buy um, some more rentals you could go buy um, existing vintage homes that you're going to have some some capex and upkeep and deferred maintenance or you can go buy go just 
go on the MLS and find a home and know what it rents for. And you're okay with the cash flow because if you think about it and think about the appreciation, not the appreciation that's happened in the last year or last five years, just the last 50 year trend, which is about three and a half percent per year. And model that out in five years and see where you're at with your investment. Model out in 10 years and see where you're at. The interesting thing that's happened now is we've had about three years of appreciation in one year. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to be surprised if appreciation levels off, but it's, I, I doubt that it's, you know, but, but that, that, that's where the, the tailwind of what most people would agree at some point is rising interest rates is again, it's, it's just, it's more wind in your sails of, of the inability of future folks to be able to buy into the game, so to speak yep. at those original levels is, is additional protection for everyone. And that, that kind of leads us towards maybe one day we end up looking more like Europe than we do now in terms of home ownership rates and, and those things. But uh, a couple of quick questions that builders asked when I, when I said we were going to talk to someone in the space was about, uh, there seems to be a perception and you can say if it's right or wrong or varies by market that the competition for single family build to rent is a luxury apartment community. And I think you already talked to some of that already, but just hit on that point a little more if you would. Sure. So I'm looking at the people coming into this space, multifamily guys coming in this space, build garden home, quad, smaller footprint type of places. When I advise on builders on what they should build if they do build for rent or build to rent, which is really talking about building a community, is figure out what's needed, not what you want to build. So I have guys come in and say, well, yeah. all we build is this. And I go, great. Well, then you have to find places that is accepting of that because ne your negotiation with the municipality around taxes and tax credits and all that is very relevant. And sometimes you guys aren't thinking about that. Um, so no, it's not always luxury type apartments. And many times it's people like myself with a family, we've moved to a new market. We're not sure if we want to buy, we decide to rent and we like it so much, we keep renting for perpetually. And then, you know, if you're smart, you want to, instead of being um, house rich and cash poor, you can rent a house, go and invest, invest right. your money. In other yeah. What is the, what's the term? I, I saw that gentleman from Australia. I was watching his, his video where you can't afford to own where you want to live. So you rent there and then you use that money to go buy a house two or three suburb rings out and then exactly. rent it so you can still participate in that ownership, but there's an actual kind of a fun, fun. Yeah. I'd be interested to know what it is, but that's a big thing. So, you, uh, you know, I've said it out there and I got blasted saying, you know, not everybody should own a home to live in necessarily, right? But you should invest in real estate because what's, what happens is if you don't do that, then you lose some of that wealth creation over time. But instead of barely affording your $500,000 home, rent that home and then go buy a $200,000 home in a lower cost market, you're getting a higher return. And you know, that opportunity is there now. I got one more question for you, and then I'll let Andrew go with a yeah. couple. We talked to a, a, an organization that was backed by private equity that was going to be launching seven or eight of these huge uh, single-family rental neighborhoods throughout the Southeast, and that seems to be where a lot of people want to be for, for pretty obvious reasons. One of their investment scenarios basically said, though, that they would not be long-term successful in their view unless the average renter stayed for two to three years or longer. And that some, doesn't seem to necessarily jive with some of what you're talking about of of some of the some of the folks with money that you represent, because the the transitory nature of renting is potentially a bonus for a lot of the demographics that are are coming up very soon, right? And so that 
I don't know if you have any thoughts on just that that horizon of if does does a deal really make sense on paper if the renters have to be such low t- turnover overall, or is uh, that what single family rental generally is? Maybe that's a better single family rental is generally low turnover. I think in our twenty three thousand homes that we manage for other investors that we third party manage, the average tenancy the average tenancy is close to three years. Wow. It's a few well, homes yeah. to get, a few homes to get data from. So, <laughs> yeah. So. so so you have to think of a different, like garden home, more apartment style. You're going to have right. higher turnover, right? But more of a single family home that lends towards families. Uh, they don't want to move. You have a family and you you're renting a place. If you like it, you don't want to move. You want to stay there for as long as you possibly can. The worst case scenario is your landlord selling your home, and then a home buyer comes in and you have to move out. So that's why these professional landlords is great because they own the homes for the long term. Um, and they might trade them to other funds, but it's more of trading. It's not, you're not going to see a difference in, you're not all of a sudden going to come in there like kicking you out because you have to, you, you have to, uh, um, because they're selling. So that does make sense to me what they were saying. Um, it is a longer tendency in, in single family rentals than in apartments. It'd be interesting to splice up that data if, if it's even there, if you were to take where the homes are and then add in different types of um, amenities or things like we were talking with Zillow a few weeks ago, as far as like, what do people want when they're looking for a home and the safety feeling of the community, or even if it's not a community, if it's just, here's blocks of houses. Like if you could take those 23,000 homes and like, oh, there's actually a four year, five year turnover with this, when these things are present within the community, gated, not gated, or sidewalks on both sides of the street, lights, et cetera, um, going down the street. And that could be then built into yeah, we haven't gotten that granular as far as the amenities, but I can say this is what I'm seeing. Um, more of the apartment garden style is more amenities, right? Whereas a single family home, you know what your amenity is? The house. Front yard, a yard, <laughs> yeah. the garage. Lawnmower. Yep, lawnmower, yeah. walk out. Well, your, your amenity really is the, Ameri- the American dream minus the investment part and a limited down payment. Right. That's, that's, that's really and, your amenity. And you don't have to deal with maintenance and taxes and, and, and all these things and all these uncertainties. And you can, you can say, I mean, think about the, the, the population changes that are happening. People are moving to the migration patterns. A lot of people are going, I'm going to try out Provo, Utah. I hear it's amazing. I'm going to go there and rent a house. And they may decide to then buy a house. They may decide to just stay there. They may decide to move back, you know, mm-hmm. things change. So it's, letting people be more, more transient, but still living the homeowner lifestyle. Talk, talk to me about what people, what, what the agreements generally look like in terms of ability to truly live in the home that you're renting. I think, um, for the, for the, you know, can you paint the walls? Can you not paint the walls? A lot of folks that I know who have, who have rented long-term in other countries, it's stand, it's common practice to like, as long as you tell them what you want to do, Everyone's fine with you, you know, adding on a screened in porch or improving the property in any way. What does that look like for the, so the folks? Improvements to the property are not usually uh, yeah. because you that can't guarantee sense. the quality of the work. Right. Um, so, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, treating, the, treating it like your own home, painting the walls, as long as you bring them back to, uh, you know, the original condition, repaint them when you're done, things mm-hmm. like that are fine. Typically, the compared to apartment management, managing apartments, Single family renter uh, has calls the landlords less. They treat it more as their home. Um, they're typically older with families. Um, they they uh, 
you know, gardens, that kind of stuff, you know, yeah, we'll gardens, do listening. He's you know, wants to grow his tomatoes. HOA if you're in a yeah. subdivision or you're not and all those types of yeah. things, you can't have chickens, you can't have goats, <laughs> you know, whatever it might be, but, <laughs> but they treat them and, and they, and you, so the maintenance costs, the efficiencies, the expense load on a single family home is now getting in line with, with multifamily. Whereas multifamily has the advantage of everything's together. So it's easy to maintain. It costs less. Right. Single family is that people call the landlord less. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and that that is the trade-off of if you have a whole community that's rentals and from a management structure, you, you can have as much similar as possible. You know the window type and, and just, yes. And just, and whole communities now expense man the cost to manage those homes, the expense load is now lower than property than, yeah. than multifamily in in many situations. And that's your trade-off of not having yeah. that appreciation that you mentioned of having a community that's mixed. It's just right. from a management perspective, it's it's simpler. That's so fascinating. Now you mentioned invitation homes. Are they? That is uh, obviously they're they're one of the largest or or the, in yeah. the space um, and and doing some pretty cool stuff. I'm on their website right now, Andrew, and they, you know, the, it's interesting how they market. And that's kind of the last section before I we talk about some data on home ownership that I was curious about is is how you're finding the single family renters having to market these properties any differently than um, kind of the mom and pop folks would have in the past and, and what that looks like. But right now they're advertising an invitation, you know, um, proactive service provided regularly to keep your home in excellent condition. So that's built in, you get the smart home tech, which allows for that access and security of what needs to happen, what needs to happen. And then the thing that I find most, most interesting, but it makes total sense from both of protecting your own investment and convenience is air filter delivery. So the right air filters deliver to your home when you need them. Um, yeah. So That's easy. That's all nice. of yeah. those are um, profit centers, right? So you talk about the, the, the home builders trying to do this. So you go into a tenant um, in invitation homes. I haven't seen their app, but a lot of them, you know, you pull up the app and it's like, you want to order cleaning? Yeah. Filters, you know, technology fee, there's some fees added on there, but there's some value to that Yeah. where it's like, you're responsible for changing the filters. If you don't change the filter and the AC goes out, you're responsible for that. So we're just going to replace the filters. And so as a property manager, there's all these companies out there that you can, then you get a little bit of those profits. Yeah. Um, but that, that amenity, those types of amenities are really important so that the less that you have to have an interaction with the manager on right. the phone or in person, the more they can self-serve, the lower the cost to manage goes, the higher the yield goes. So as yields are getting compressed, efficiencies are going up. So those that yield compression is getting offset by controllable costs that you can, um, you know, that, that just make things work better. So, and, and I don't know how much of this you get involved with, um, but on, on the marketing end, I mean, obviously, people are looking for these homes, but anything different than what a mom and pop would typically put something on Craigslist or whatever, like, Hey, I've got a house um, for rent posted on the Starbucks wall, right. that kind of stuff. How, how, how are these larger <laughs> pools of, of investments getting advertised so to, to buyers, you, renters, I should say. I'm going to preface this because you can look up invitation homes and find all kinds of bad press. Oh, well, um, yeah. I mean, every, every builder listening has their name sucks.com as right. a domain out there. So we get right. that. So, yeah you know, you're always going to have upset tenants always. Right. So those are the majority of the reviews you get as a tenant who got kicked out because they didn't pay the rent. Mm-hmm. Um, they're got the, yep. but the, the professional landlords, you have a peace of mind that 
things are going to get taken care of ideally as that need to be taken care of on time with mom and pop. Um, you know, it's great because you can get to know your landlord, but they could decide to sell the house. They could, you know, they take some time to get things fixed. Tenant retention. There's a direct correlation with how quickly you fix things in a house with tenant retention and rent increases. So it's really hard to say, I don't want you to increase my rent when they've done everything like that. Like they have a problem, they get it taken care of. So that marketing and, and talking about the brand and the brand, like for example, Invitation Homes, when you go on their site, it's geared towards that tenant. It's geared towards, you know, um, yeah. how, what kind of experience mm-hmm. are you going to have? And you can look at that with American Homes for Rent. You can look at that with Progress, Brandywine Home. I mean, you can name any of them. They create the are, are real estate agents involved in finding those people, I guess is what I'm talking about, or are they having to run their own marketing campaigns in their areas? Are they so, just using Zillow and, and realtor.com to find? Yeah, typically. I mean, Zillow accounts for about 85% of all tenant leads. Wow. So um, that was as of a couple of years ago. So we have people come to us all the time and say, we can find you tenants. Tenants are a time, dime a dozen. Literally, there are people fighting over homes. There's bidding wars over rental properties in Austin right now, I can tell you. Wow. So that is, it, it's all I think there's done bidding wars I mean, over pretzels right now in Austin. I think if it's in Austin, there's They're a bidding used process to it. Like, involved. Like, I'll take <laughs> yeah. the one that's ready. I'll give you a dollar more. <laughs> right. I mean, line. it's insane. So typically what they're doing is they have internal agents that'll go out there and meet you at the home. Some, some I mean, the technology in last year has changed where, where you're doing more remotely. And that's where that home tech comes in. You, you know, to get into the home, you're showing your ID and a credit card and your picture in your face and you're going into the house and it's tracking who's going in and out for vendors, for everything. That technology is amazing. So, uh, so, but yeah, most of the time they're internally marketing real estate brokers are not involved. External real estate, like buyer rep or renter rep yeah. brokers are not involved unless you're in apartments in, in, in luxury in large metropolitan areas, they're, they're, right. they're more relevant. Makes sense. All right. Well, so we're, we're all singing from the same songbook in terms of where we think the future is and why this is such a hot space. And I, I, I wanted to get your kind of expert take on something that hit me actually as I was preparing to talk to you. There was something about you that made me, I don't normally prepare also. Well, I talk about this a lot. You must be yeah. intimidating. But I, I, I was like, yeah, I feel like we're becoming more like Europe. House Hunters International, my favorite show ever, like relaxing on a Friday night. I get a drink and I watch two or three episodes of that. Um, and, and even people plan to live somewhere permanently or for long term, they're always looking to rent. And so, and, and people I know who live in Europe, that's just, it's, it's un, unattainable to purchase in most of the areas that people want to live in. And then I, I looked up the list of homeownership rate by country. United States was actually near the bottom third of that list. Um, the UK is only like 1% lower. And we're at 65.6% uh, homeownership rate versus renter occupied or, or not occupied right. um, in the first quarter of 2021. That was a shocking number to me. Do you, does that mean that you feel like we're... One, I guess, is, is do we agree that the data is accurate or is something's misleading about it? And, and does that, alt- if we do think it's accurate, does that mean we're heading to like 40% ownership rate? Or So, off the cuff. My favorite the, kind of answers. Yeah, so when we're talking about home ownership in the United States, we think about a single family home with a yard and a garage. When you're talking about home ownership in England, Many times you're talking about a flat, mm-hmm. 
a condo. So, ah. so that home ownership rate in, in the U.S. also includes condos, but but it's it's do, more dominated by single Makes family homes. Yep. Where yep. in other countries it may not be. Um, people are flats. They're they're you know that. But there's yeah the there's there's those of us from the Midwest who watch you know um, some listing show in New York City and we're like, why are they talking about buying an apartment? That sounds strange. Right. So right. That, that's what you're referring to. Uh, Roma- exactly. Romania is 95% according to Wikipedia, which seems absurd. Well, Romania but... is a much more uh, rural country. Yeah. So if you get into their more urban countries, the home ownership <laughs> to, rate. To your point, high. the fact that Cuba, a communist country, has a 90% home ownership rate should have been a clue um, that something was up there. Yeah. yeah and, you know, we'd have to see how those numbers are. And, you know, some of these dates are pretty old here. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, I think in the U.S., it's unique compared to any other country. Um, the way we're spread out, where it's going to be, I don't think home ownership rate. I mean, I think if we start playing with the markets like we did in 2005 to get home ownership rate uh-huh. up to 70 percent, we're going to see the same kind of issues. Yeah, um, I think that the the demographics and the financial makeup of the people in our country for a negative is is not going to the positive, it's going more to the negative. Um, and I don't know what we can do to, yeah, right. So uh, yeah, the peak, the peak home ownership rate, we're just looking at a chart here, 69.2% in 2004. And that was, you know, the peak of the, the no doc, no asset, no, you know, just have a pulse, you get a loan world. Right. And so that's, that's changed. But so what the other interesting thing here is if you look at this without context, you're seeing that Homeownership rate went down and went back up. So you're assuming that there's less rentals, but there's about 12 million more rentals because huh. there are, I'm sorry, by 2024, I think it'll be total from, from 2010 to 2024. But there's more, we have the record number of millennials of a generation that were all from the baby boomers that are now entering, entering in. Um, and so there's, we have that population growth and we have more people like there's, I think there's 34 something million millennials that are at that household formation age. Um, and the or, boomers aren't selling their second home or their original home when they're buying their second right now. Right. Too. So that's, what's keeping stuff off the market. I mean, you know, the, the inventory is super low. There's a lot of reasons for that. A lot of people wanted to buy, some people aren't selling and, and it kind of, it snowballs. It's a catch 22 because you're not going to sell unless you can find a home to move to. Um, and, yep. but what we are seeing is a lot of over 55, a lot of retirees selling their home, moving into a rental in a nice little community. And, um, I always talk about this story in, in Texas, there's a brand new, I'm not going to say where it is cause I don't really want to call it <laughs> off directly, but brand new over 55 apartment complex that was built. Hmm. And then somebody built 200 single family garden homes right down the street for rentals. They can't rent these apartments out. And it's for, it was for over 55 because, I mean, think about it. Yeah. You want to go move into yeah. an apartment or you want to move into a, to a small, you know, 1,200 square foot home and you can walk out on your porch and smoke a cigarette and have your dog, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, it's, it, that is a big, big market, the over 55, you know, that maybe don't, don't want or can't own. You know, as we get more of these people, more people coming in that um, have had this big wealth gap and don't have a lot of savings that have student loan debt and they go to retire, if they can just rent a home, um, you know, that's going to perpetuate this home ownership decline where it's going to be. I, I yep. have no okay. idea. Last, last fun yeah. question um, sure. that we, none of us know the answer to. Do you see Airbnb becoming uh, or VRBO or 
Picasso, any of these other um, things becoming com competition for the investment pool that's going into it. I mean, I, I believe uh, now it's been so long, I feel like I've made it up or just dreamed it. But I, I remember reading an article like two years ago that Airbnb was planning to build some of their own developments so that they I would have that. their own pool of, of yep. properties they owned and could rent out um, by day or. Uh, so Spencer Radcliffe from Zillow mm -hmm. just started a company that's doing exactly that. Uh, fractional ownership into investment properties, whether yeah, they're Airbnb or not, is 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 becoming huge. Um, I've seen a lot of companies that I've talked to that have that model: um, sell, lease back, buy your home, lease it back, uh, all these different things. Uh, yeah, because they have so much market capitalization that they could go in and very easily, especially when you see. I mean, look, uh, a year ago I predicted that the vacation market was going to get crushed. I was way off on that one, right? <laughs> um, but if you could, you know, as an owner, as a small owner, it's really difficult to wrap your head around, okay, I have this vacation rental. What if I rent it long-term? What am I going to do? What if they don't move out? All this kind of stuff. The larger companies can easily shift that around. I mean, in the market where I'm in, in Seamount Springs, there is a glut of vacation homes and not enough long-term rentals. And people are figuring out how to shift that and realize that in the long run, Maybe one year you made a lot of money on that vacation rental, but in the long run, you're going to make more money having long-term tenants as long as you do the right tenants. So the management of those right. is really important and, and having the, you know, the comfort behind that. Is that. Did I answer your question? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's just that you, you should be productively paranoid about all this stuff because everyone does want to create more efficiencies, more efficiencies, more efficiencies. And that's where technology and process takes us. But at the same time, they're just, it also creates all these niches for opportunity for yep. the people. And that's, that's really, again, we love having people on the show to kind of introduce them to, to our audience. And, and obviously if you've been with us over the last hour, you, you know, that Noel's a guy you want to connect with and, and talk shop with and, yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. How, how do people uh, find you? I, I would recommend your LinkedIn profile, which we'll, we'll put a LinkedIn link in the show be the notes. Best way. Um, you know, yeah, that, that's the best way you can find my content. You can see what I'm about there. I put myself out there. Um, I'm an open book and yeah, that LinkedIn's the best way. And then we, you know, we kind of go from there. Very cool. Thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you for Thank having you. me. Great conversation and anytime. So yeah, you bet. It's been, it's been a blast. I, I feel okay. I feel smarter and dumber at the same time having talked <laughs> with you. <laughs> I appreciate it. There's always somebody smarter. Always. <laughs>